HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Happy Monday afternoon, and welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Anne Saxelby. My co-host is Sophie Schlesinger, and today we are talking the state of cheese in Tennessee, um, which was what our lovely opening music was all about. Um, we're going to be talking with Jim and Gail Tanner from Bonnie Blue Farm, and then later in the show to Elizabeth Cotter, uh, who has a cheese business called the Bloomy Rind. Um, but so we'll start off with uh, Jim and Gail. Are you guys on the line we are here yes we are excellent <laughs> um so how did you uh get your start making cheese in tennessee uh well we we moved to tennessee from california upon our retirement from uh previous things gail's a, a trained chef there but uh and i was a building contractor in my last uh profession i've had a number of different metamorphoses in my life um <laughs> And so we were just looking for a place to retire. We didn't really intend to uh, to open a dairy or a cheese operation, but it just was a hobby that sort of got out of control. <laughs> That's what everybody says. It starts with one goat. It's like the gateway goat, and then before you know it, you got a whole you got a whole herd. <laughs> well, actually, uh, biology being what it is, it has to start with two goats. That's true. <laughs> but from there, it does it does rapidly ascend. That's correct. Okay. <laughs> Um, One of our dogs is just just chiming in. We have uh, four great Pyrenees uh, herd protection dogs, so I oh, guess wow. I'm seeking his 15 minutes of fame. Oh, well, put him on. What's his, what's his name? <laughs> <laughs> um, that's great. So do the dog? I mean, dogs are a big part of um, farming, actually, that we don't often talk about. Um, do, they, uh, do they stay out with the herd at night and kind of protect them? Well, actually, the herd's not out at night. Uh, they're pretty pampered. They're, the herd's uh, really part of our family, and uh, they don't like to stay out at night. They like room service and the lights on for <laughs> up till about 10 o'clock and so forth. <laughs> and so they come in. But when they do go out in, um, in, in the field, and we have uh, some bucks and uh, on a little more remote location across a, across a creek from us, and there's a dog in with them. They're great Pyrenees herd protection dogs, and... Uh, we live in a very remote area in Tennessee, so there are predators here, coyotes and wildcats and so forth, uh, not to mention the, uh, the occasional stray dog that comes through. But we've never lost, uh, lost an animal to uh, a predator. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I know that the, the 
the dogs are definitely that's a that's a great thing. And goats like company too, right? They don't really like to be alone. Well, that's correct. They're they're a herd animal, and uh, uh, practically all animals that you see in herds or whatever that's that's their comfortable situation when they were wild before they were domesticated, and of course that carries over. Interesting. And then uh, you talked about in previous professions. Uh, Gail, you were a chef, and then Jim, you worked in in building. Um, can you talk about how you kind of created your? I know you call it the cheese studio and the cave, because that's that's a really interesting part of your farm. Well, let Gail, Gail you take this one. And let me think for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, like Jim said, when you have a lot of goats, you, and when they're dairy goats, they're very productive, and they ha- make a lot of milk. So we have to do something with the milk, and we create it. Uh, we take our fr- very, very, very fresh. Um, high-quality milk to the cheese studio, and that's where it is either pasteurized or possibly made into a raw milk cheese also. We do a couple of those. And um, uh, we call it a studio because cheese is art and science, and uh, so it's not just a creamery. It's actually a a place where uh, science happens and art happens, too. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I had an art background before I got into the cheese business. And I'm always telling people that that cheese is edible art. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. And, um, and so yeah, um, Jim, how about you when uh, you guys you guys built a cheese cave on the farm? Yeah, well, actually, when we bought the farm here, there were, uh, there were no buildings on it, save one, uh, one old chimney left over from a pre Civil War uh, cabin here. Wow. And um, we built everything that's here, and we have uh, we have now pretty. Well, we started out with just a barn. We, we would come from California, uh, and we would work on it at Christmas time. We had about a couple of weeks, and we would we built a small barn just so when we got here with our goats, uh, why we'd have a place for them, and we had a an RV on the property. Uh, but we gradually kept building and kept building, and as a matter of fact, we still are. Uh, there's always another construction project here. Uh, but we, uh, after we had started, we were aging initially some of our raw milk cheeses in uh, freezers with a thermostat control over them. Mm-hmm. And to get the fresh air to them, we'd go over a couple of times a day and fan the lid back and forth. <laughs> and, uh, but it worked, and, and the cheese uh, turned out quite nice, so we decided to build a cave. Um, and people say, a cave? Well, how do you build a cave? Well, you blast a hole. Uh, about 30 feet deep and about 60 or 70 feet uh, back into a limestone hill, and you pour a foundation, pour concrete, and you pour some concrete walls and a roof on it capable of supporting uh, some 80 tons of dirt, and then you cover it back over. And presto, it's just that easy. It took us two <laughs> presto years, cheese two years <laughs> and we quit counting at $90,000. Wow. And was there a, a turning point where you kind of decided you wanted to go into this full-time and make it a business? Because uh, that's quite a quite an investment in time and, and land and uh, money to, to make all of that happen. Well, Gail, you tell them about our discussion down there in the barn. <laughs> <laughs> well, nothing's easy. Um, and once you, once you dive in, uh, there's no turning back. So in order to make it, uh, make it happen, make it profitable, you know, it's, it couldn't be a hobby anymore. It had to be a business. And one of our favorite farm mottos is nothing happens till somebody sells something. <laughs> so we had to uh, work pretty hard at developing a uh, market. And thanks to Jim's excellent uh, marketing skills and willingness to drive cheese all over the state, um, we have been what we think is fairly successful. We're paying the bills and the goats are eating and uh, we're eating. So, 
Sounds wow. sounds good to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so tell us about your markets. Where do, where do you sell most of your cheese? And um, uh, what do people in Tennessee think about farmstead cheese? Well, it, uh, farmstead cheese in, in uh, Tennessee is not a long tradition. Um, they made fresh farm cheeses here uh, in the olden days, so to speak. Um, so we had to sort of work on that a little bit. And we still get a lot of people at farmer's markets that go, oh, goat cheese, you know, there's some sort of pejorative term there. <laughs> but um, there are there are several cities here which have very nice restaurants and a nice food culture, one of them being Memphis, uh, another one is Chattanooga and Nashville. Um, right. The other large city in the state of Tennessee, and I heard you on one of your previous uh, shows talking about Pennsylvania being the longest state. Well, Tennessee's a long ways from the east to the west, too. It's about 500 miles. So Knoxville is a little out of our purview. We have a, we've decided that we don't uh, wholesale our cheese. Uh, it, well, we wholesale it to restaurants and that sort of thing and grocery stores, but we don't, uh, we don't give it to distributors. I deliver all the cheese in person. So I drive about, uh, well, this last year, I just finished the taxes, I drive about 65,000 miles a year. Wow. Cheese. Uh, on uh, every Saturday from now on, I'm at uh, Memphis Farmer's Market, and we have an employee that's at the Franklin Farmer's Market. Franklin is a suburb of Nashville. And uh, then on Sunday afternoons, I go to Chattanooga. There's a, uh, a market there. And uh, the Memphis Farmer's Market's about 150 miles from it, so it's a 300-mile round trip. And Chattanooga's about a 380-mile round trip for me. On Thursdays, uh, I go to Nashville for a wholesale route. Uh, so we have a number of restaurants in Nashville and a Whole Foods market there and several other small specialty markets. And we go as we have sold cheese that way as far east as Atlanta, um, in Hernando, Mississippi, and then from what I call coast to coast in, uh, in Tennessee. Wow, that's that's impressive. I, I'm I'm saying I'm you know if somebody, I, I know it wouldn't be an easy job, but I feel like if somebody were to start a small distribution company in every state, you know that yeah. was um, that would just go around to farms and pick up and kind of consolidate all that work. I mean, it would take a crucial volume of farms to have that work, but I just feel like at some point, hopefully, that'll become a model for somebody because man, making cheese and selling it is a full time job in and of itself, and then driving it all around yourself. I mean. Kudos to you guys. That's that's an amazing amount of work. We have scared ourselves a couple of times by keeping track of how many hours we spend. We work uh, we work seven days a week, three hundred and sixty five days a year, approximately sixteen hours a day. Wow. <laughs> well. So, what is our social life? <laughs> Little or none, except with the goats. Except and the goats. Uh, um, Gail has uh, she she'll go for months without ever even going off the farm. Yeah. It's it's tough. Well, <laughs> it's yeah. funny. It's not the. It's certainly an atypical retirement plan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I still. I I think you know having the combination of a chef and a contractor running a dairy farm. You can't get much better than that because yeah. somebody's got to be the artist and you know transforming the milk, and then somebody's got to know how to build and fix a lot of stuff. So I feel like all the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've done a number of interviews, and that's I think one of our one of our strong points is that. Uh, we both have back, uh, backgrounds in business at fairly high levels. I was at one time a senior account executive for Merrill Lynch. I also have had two or three other small businesses. Um, Gail's a, a 
an executive chef and was in management with uh, Pacific, uh, well, it wasn't Pacific Bell, it was uh, Ma Bell, as they referred to it in those days, <laughs> um, and then uh, has a, uh, also a background in retail, owning a competition swim shop in Sacramento. Oh. So we've done a lot of different things, um, and almost all of them, we, we've managed to look back and, and at least pick out a fragment of that experience and put it to use here on the farm. Well, so that's an interesting point, because I feel like a lot of people who get into cheesemaking do it for the love, and they don't, and they're not the best business people, um, necessarily, you know, it's all about making something beautiful and kind of having that lifestyle of living, you know, living on the farm and milking the goats. If you were to offer, you know, maybe three bits of advice as seasoned business people for people getting into or, or thinking about getting into this business, what would you tell them? Well, first of all, I tell them there's more than three. We actually have a list like that. I've given a number of talks uh, here about starting a small dairy in the South. And we have a list of 77 questions that must be answered (laughs) (laughs) before you embark upon this. And some of them are kind of humorous, uh, and uh, but all of them, we found out within the first year, you you really had to know almost all of them. One of them is make a a plan. Yeah. What is the saying, though, those who... uh, who fail to plan, better plan to fail. Right. Because <laughs> it's not going to work out. Um, the other thing is you better be adequately financed. Most small businesses uh, die within the first year or two because they're undercapitalized. Right. And it's, borrowing money doesn't work. I guess you can borrow from the Fed now if you qualify at a quarter of a percent. I saw the rate this morning. But, <laughs> but that doesn't usually hold true for private individuals. So if you have to borrow money, you've just added another huge expense uh, to your business plan. Yeah, paying it back. Absolutely. Um, other than, let's see, that's uh, that's one or two things. Uh, and you need some experience. The first thing you ought to do before you start that is go work on a dairy for about three or four months. Day to day, every day. Get up at five in the morning the way they do and go to bed at 11 o'clock at night the way they do. <laughs> our experience. And participate in shoveling feces and washing dishes and changing a tractor tire and all the other things that go on. <laughs> all the joys. Yeah, and you may find out it's not quite as glamorous as, as it looks when Emerald Lagasse is slicing the cheese up in front of the camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he gets, he gets the easy part of the job for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so now if people want to find out more about your farm, do you guys have a, a website or anything where um, people can find out? And, and also, do you guys ex- um, welcome visitors on the farm? Go ahead, Gail. Yes, we, we're at, at bonniebluefarm.com on the web. Okay. And we update the site fairly regularly, and we do encourage visitors to the farm because that's, they are our entertainment. <laughs> so I can't get away. They've got to come to us, and we have the most wonderful visitors. It's just, it brightens my life. It's so great. We've had people that have been on safaris in Africa, and, and they come and they bring their life to me. And you know that... Um, the most cherished thing that people can share, I think, is time. And when they come here, they relax and they put their cell phones away and they can just be real people and, and we can talk and they just fall in love with the goats. And that's another critical point is that they, uh, we elevate the status of our dear goats. <laughs> I'm sure they love being on stage, too. Yes. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things when Gail said they put their phones away, they might as well because there's no cell phone reception here. <laughs> That's so the we best. Are, we are quite remote. There's a joke around here. You know, they say, where do you live? Well, we live so far back in the holler, we don't get uh, the Grand Ole Opry till Tuesday morning. 
don't get the Grand Ole Opry at all. There's no radio reception and uh, no cell phone reception in our, our hollow. So, but we do have a uh, we do have a uh, Wi-Fi connection. So, and and a hard phone line, of course, which we're on now. But right. That's good. Wow. That's good. Well, I was going to say, one of you better also be a pretty guard, good musician then, because, you know... That, that That's him. <laughs> really? Oh, yes. No, I'm not going to quit my day job. <laughs> <laughs> that is so fantastic. So, when you when people come to the farm, do you do any kind of um, special events or dinners or tastings or anything, or is it pretty much just people dropping in? Dinner? What's that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Gail's a, Gail's a trained chef, and she's actually won uh, won some fairly significant awards uh, for a goat cheesecake. But uh, a lot of times we're eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and ramen noodles, I have to admit. <laughs> now, a couple of our nicest dinners were guests that came here. And then in, they stay in a cabin. We have a log cabin here that we built and lived in for the first six years. They stay in the cabin, and if they stay for several days, many times, and we just love this, we get invited to go eat dinner with them. <laughs> and we've had a couple of fantastic meals there. We had some people from Panama uh, that came up, and they wanted to start a goat dairy, and they, ultimately they did. But the last day they were here, they stayed, they stayed for five days, and the last day they were here, they fixed this fabulous salmon dinner with very nice wine and all kinds and of cheese. stuff. And cheese. And cheese, yeah. <laughs> of course. Well, any if there are any chefs in New York listening to this program that need a break, now yeah. you've got it. You just there. have to, you know, <laughs> go well, to... One of the things we do for the chefs that, uh, the chefs that, that handle our cheese in the, in the various uh, restaurants around, uh, we just tell them, anytime you want to come down here, it's free to stay in the cabin. And we've had several come down and stay. Oh, wow. that's great. That's we great. We get a big kick out of that. And then, of course, that helps the sales. They go back and they can tell their... And we've, we've actually gone to some of the restaurants and talked to the wait staff about what we do and, and uh, that sort of thing. So that's uh, an important part of marketing. And I noticed, uh, you know, you're talking... One of the other fellows that you had on on a previous program was talking about a personal relationship. And that's, that's almost mandatory, especially if you're trying to sell an artisan, small, uh, small niche market. Uh, type of product absolutely no education education and relationships and community is key that's for sure we bring a lot of uh, a lot of visitors to our farm which helps the uh, local economy of wayne county which is fairly depressed so uh, the folks in the county appreciate what we do because they bring visitors bring their dollars Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I regret to say that we have run out of time, um, but I appreciate you guys taking the time out to come and talk with us so much. It's been great to learn about your farm. Come see us. Thank you. We will. will. (laughs) Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Sometime when I'm blue, seem like Lucy will try to help me call my name. I used to sing spirituals and I thought that this was the thing that I wanted to do. Somehow or other, when I went in the army, I picked up on Lucille, start singing blues. Well, now when I'm paying my dues, maybe you don't know what I mean when I say paying dues. I mean when things are bad with me. I can always... I can always, you you know, like, uh, depend on Lucille.
sort of hard to talk to you myself. I guess I'll let Lucille say a few words and then... Welcome back to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. Um, I'm your host, Ann Saxelby, and our show today has been generously sponsored by Hearst Ranch. Hearst Ranch is the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. Since 1865, the Hearst family has raised cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of the central California coast. The result is beef with extraordinary flavor that's as memorable and natural as the surrounding landscape. For more information, go to www.hearstranch.com. Um, and on our second segment of today's show, we're going to be talking with Kathleen Cotter, who is the owner of the Bloomy Rind, a, an innovative and new cheese business in Tennessee. Um, Kathleen, are you with us? I am. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, man. So we were, we were doing some research, and there is a really cool video of you on the internet on, on Cheese Chick yeah. TV, which was a revelation to me. I didn't, I didn't know Cheese Chick TV existed. <laughs> yes, Miss, Miss Christine Hyatt's um, awesome work, and she was coming to Nashville um, over Thanksgiving to visit family, and she said, hey, I want to I check out some southern cheeses. So... Um, we got in touch, and she came on over, and we ate some southern cheese together, and she filmed it. She, she is awesome. Christine Hyatt, for all of our listeners who don't know, is the president of um, the American Cheese Society, which is an awesome organization, and apparently, you know, she's just a powerhouse, because if she's doing that and she's doing the, the TV thing, I mean, yeah, more power right. to her. <laughs> and has two small kids, so. Wow. Yeah. Wow. She's Wonder Woman. Well, tell us about you. Tell us about your business and how you got started in the in the whole cheese world. I um, I was in a completely different field a couple of years ago, and um, like so many folks, um, when the economy hit a big speed bump, um, my job went away, and I just decided to take some time and try to find what I would be really passionate and excited about, and. Um, Kept coming back to food and was also learning about um, food systems and sustainability issues and really wanted to incorporate food along with that and um, kind of took a look at what I loved plus what was going on in Nashville and noticed there was a lack of cheese and a lack of a great cheese shop. So um, that, which that every, was Which every foodie city needs. <laughs> You what? I said, which every foodie city definitely needs, a a good cheese shop. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So um, so that was sort of the light bulb, and then I began doing a whole lot of research and found some classes to to take um, in other places and um, just started absorbing as much knowledge as I could and visiting cheesemakers and eating lots of cheese. <laughs> now, what for people, what, what would you recommend in terms of classes? Because I know that there's a lot of stuff out there, but what were your favorite um, resources when you were starting to educate yourself about cheese? Well, I did three main things off the bat. I was, I was interested in both cheese making and cheese retailing, and I needed to pick one direction or the other. So I did a little bit of both in my research. And um, 
uh, went to a class up at Consider Bardwell Farm up in Vermont, um, taught by Peter Dixon, who is a master cheesemaker and just a wealth of knowledge. Um, plus, I'd never been to 